So this is exciting. I'm going to bring this way over here. Um, so I brought the group up, asked them to come up. Some of them were, I think, scared that they would have to say something or do something. Uh, Brand here was worried, or Brand, was worried about tripping as he went up, you know. So, <laughs> so they're not as comfortable being up here as I am. Um, but uh, but I, I wanted them to come up uh, because they have, uh, we'll, we'll share later that this message is really coming uh, really from the whole group in a sense. Uh, they didn't choose the message, but they've been trying to live the message. So I'll talk about that later. Um, uh, I am not a pastor here, even though I'm bald, and some people think that's <laughs> qualification. Uh, I am simply a small group leader. And uh, the pastors are out. Um, they're not here, which means we can kind of do whatever we want, right? <laughs> so, uh, so we're just going to let it rip, and uh, they'll have to you know, deal with it. Okay, it's great. Uh, we're we're kind of sorry about that, uh, them not being here. Uh, Russ is at a conference, being spiritual, uh, and uh, Kevin is, is at a uh, CrossFit World Championships, being physical. Seriously, the World Championships of CrossFit. Now, I know, I know some of you may be wondering, so if, if Kevin's there, Kelly, why aren't you there? Um, good question, but I had an obligation to speak here, so I, so I had to speak instead. We wish Kevin well. Um, I appreciate the privilege to be able to speak, though. I get to speak about once a year, and, uh, and it's a risk, I think, for the pastors every time, um, because I, I have a little different temperament than they do. I'm not as cool. I don't have ripped jeans like uh, Russ does. I don't sit in this stool like Kevin does, and I'm going to be speaking kind of out of my own experience and personality. Is that Okay. Um, but I love to speak, and, uh, and one of the reasons I love to speak is I, I love the content of the gospel, and I love, I love the, you know, the word of God, and I love uh, how God works and so forth, and I love to tell stories, and, and so I love to speak, and, the, and, and sometimes when I hear people, whether it's Kevin or Russell or whoever, and I think this is good, that I, 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 I critique it, and sometimes I don't agree with everything, but the cool thing this morning is I agree with everything I'm going to share. Isn't that awesome? And you do too, right? Nod your head. Yeah, yeah, you do too. Okay, so, um, so why do we have the group up here? Um, Kevin asked last week if you were here. I listened to the podcast because I was not here. But he asked this question, why don't we see God act in ways in, in America now like we see in the book of Acts or like we see in other parts of the world? And we're going to try to address that question. Um, but our group t- took on this challenge a few weeks ago, or actually a few months ago. What if we took on the challenge of trying to be like the early church? Not to try to do it the same way, but to, in, in, a, in our own context to try to live out the same principles. Would something happen? And I challenged a group. I said, you know what? Let's just try it. And if nothing happens, let's change religions or something. I mean, because if God is real, something should happen. And then we got this crazy idea. We decided to write a book. See, because the first church wrote a book called the chapter of Acts. I mean the chapter, the book of Acts, sorry. The book of Acts. So we thought, there's only one. There's two books of Corinthians, you know, so forth. There's only one book of Acts. We'll write the second one. So that's right here, okay? It's in process. And the idea is, is we're going to write everything that God um, does in terms of answering prayer or changing our hearts, turning us in, in, in answer to what we're trying to do. And, and it's one thing, sometimes you don't forget what God does, but more significantly, we were expecting God might do more than he has been. And I'm just going to tell you right now that I, don't, I, I can't explain it all exactly, but that God is doing more for me personally um, in, in my life in, in the last few months than he has 
um, in the last 30 years. Uh, seriously, I mean, just, there's some things that are just amazing happening. And it's a, it's a work done in through the, our community, though. It's not me. It's not my wife, Diana. It's through our group. And that's why I wanted them to come up here and for you to see, because it's really coming out of us, and we've been processing this and trying to live this out. Um, also, if you, since it's really coming a message from the group, if you don't like the message, you can blame them. And also, a couple of these guys are pretty big, and so if you really don't like the message, I know in Bible times when they would preach sometimes, they, you know, stones would come. I've got some bodyguards who will be accompanying me on the way out, okay? So that's kind of cool, too. We're going to have Kayla pray, and then uh, we'll let them sit down, and we'll get started. Lord God, our prayer is an echo of what we were singing in worship this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, and we acknowledge your presence here before us, and we are humbled and honored to be in your presence. We, we pray, Lord, for your word to speak to us, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you want to tell us. Lord, we know that you want to tell us something, each one of us individually, and us as a church, Lord, you want to speak to us. So help us to hear and to be changed, to go from this place different. Fill us with your joy and your peace, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can take that. You guys are off the hook. Be seated. Let's give it up for the group. Have the courage to come up here. <laughs> um, the title of this, and, and I don't always give the title, but the title of this message, because it is significant, is Do You See the Crippled Man Walking? Do You See the Crippled Man Walking? And I've got three questions I want to answer in this. And the questions we're going to put up here. Is God still moving in miraculous ways today? Is he? Is he really? Is God still moving today like we see in Scripture? And who does God use to do his work and to manifest his power? So if he is moving, who does he use? Does he use everybody? Does he use anybody? What are the qualifications? And finally, um, what was so special about those disciples? Were they uh, just a special breed? Did they do special things? I mean, we saw the results of what they did, but was there something special about them? And so we're going to address that. So let's get started. You ready? I wear these almost all summer long. Every time I get a chance to go out and ride my bike or drive or whatever, I put these sunglasses on. Now, these are very expensive sunglasses, not just because they're Oakley. No, you know, props to Oakley. Not just, not, I'm not a brand name type of guy to show off, okay, whatever. But they probably are worth like $600 because they're not just any glasses, sunglasses. They are prescription glasses, which means I'm nearsighted. So I don't see down the road very far. And so, especially driving, riding my bike, I'll, go, I'll hit potholes, I'll run over children or something. And so I need these glasses. Uh, and so I need them to see further. I need them to see things I can't normally see, honestly, to see details I can't see without them. And I, I need these glasses. Obviously, they cut away glare that might blind me from seeing what I could see also. They cut away the glare. They're beautiful. And then the most important thing is they make me look really cool. <laughs> Amen? And that's the most important thing. Okay? Um, a few years ago, I grew a goatee, and I put these glasses on, and I was really kind of scared, scared myself because I looked good. And I had to shave because I didn't want to cause women to stumble, you know? I was looking so good. Um, but what if, uh, well, I don't want to call you back to something about, uh, that was really cool with, with glasses. Uh, how many of you remember uh, Mission Impossible 2? Great movie. At the start of the movie, it shows Tom Cruise climbing this incredible rock. I know he couldn't climb without special effects. But 
even though he does climb. So he got to the top of this amazing rock, and all of a sudden this helicopter rises over. How many remember this? And shoots this missile at me. No, no, he's going to die. First the movie. It's a short movie. But no, this missile comes down, goes into the ground, and out pops this device. And he goes and he picks up some sunglasses. And you think, oh, my goodness, how corny. But I didn't realize. He puts on the glasses, and they're not just any glasses. They are Mission Impossible glasses. And from these glasses, he gets the mission if he chooses to accept it. And he begins to see the things that the, the mission is about and where he's going to go and who he needs to connect with and everything right through his glasses. How many like to have spiritual sunglasses? Not just to look cool, but to be able to see ahead. And we're going to talk about that just kind of as a metaphor. Um, and I want you to go with me. with these. Put on some spiritual sunglasses. Just pretend with me. I'm going to talk about some real people. Real people. I want you to see. What if you could see this girl who's in the... In the um, the pub at Eastern. She's in a booth by herself. She's crying. She has multiple problems. She has few, if any, friends. She still lives with her family. She's never had a job, never been able to hold down a job. She's trying to go to school. She has no direction. She's confused in her life. What if you were able to see with God's eyes and knew what to do? There's a man who lives in Nepal. He actually is not from Nepal, but he's been in a refugee camp in Nepal for 20 years. Years. He doesn't speak English. He has a dream of maybe coming to America where he could be released from this, this, this place of hardship. And he dreams of that. But what would he do? Who, what, where would he work? He's never held a job in his life. He's never got a paycheck. Look to me, look at me, at this man in Nepal, hoping that perhaps he'll be given an, given an opportunity to come into America. Look with me at this man. He's a 26 year old man who's in Vietnam, I mean, excuse me, who's in Afghanistan, was in Afghanistan uh, for six years. He's had problems with his legs, and finally they, they send him back. The army told him his leg was just swelling, uh, something minor. He finally finds out that his leg is riddled with cancer. And they told, tell him there's a 99% chance that he will, they'll have to amputate if they could save his life at all. His dream is to be a fireman. But at this point, he he's, can even dream that. Can even hope for that. Because his leg is riddled with cancer. Picture to me. His wife left him while he was in the service, serving the country. What would you say to him? Who is God going to use? We're going to read the scripture that all these can apply to. About... Peter and John walking with their spiritual sunglasses. I'd like you to stand with me. And we're going to project it on the screen. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. When he was put every, where he was put every day to beg. From those going um, into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. 
And taking him by the right hand, they helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what was happening to him. Amen. You may be seated. Great story. Great children's song from that story, which we won't sing it, and a lot of you want to sing it, but we're not going to sing. Um, and, and I'm going to hit some highlights. We're going to talk about a few just little highlights. There's so many things. We sat with our group on Wednesday, and we, we, we uh, journaled on it, and then we spoke. And, man, there's so many great angles, so many pieces that come out of this. And I felt like God led me on a couple. But just a, just a little uh, review kind of, and we can live the scripture up if we want. Um, first of all, this man was crippled from birth. He had never walked before. He wasn't returning to something he had already experienced. He was experiencing something he never experienced before. Now, it'd be one thing if you haven't been able to walk for a few years. I had a bad back a few years ago, and I've been kind of struggling recently. And, and when um, I, I got healed, of it, and I, I was just, every time I'd go for a run, I would just thank the Lord I could run. And, but this man, he had never walked. And so it's no wonder he wasn't just walking, he was leaping. Amen? And you know, I love Christians who have been, they know what they've been saved from and what they've been saved to. I saw a guy at Teen Challenge when I went and gave a donation the other day, and I don't know what his story was, but if he was there working, he probably had been a drug addict or something, and my goodness, he was just full of worship and just singing songs, and he said, how can I not praise the Lord? You see, I love people like that because they truly, they've experienced God's grace, and they know it, and they don't forget. Here's the other thing. He wasn't looking to get healed. In fact, he did not, he, I'm going to suggest, he did not believe he could be healed. He was in this situation, and how many of us are in situations in our life? And maybe it's the same sin, the same habit, the same personality defect, the same relationship struggles, and we think that's just who we are. We don't have faith, we don't have belief to even think that we could do anything more than survive where we're at. He was looking for survival, not healing. The crippled man didn't come on his own. The crippled man was brought by a few people. These people participated in their healing, even though they perhaps didn't have faith for his healing either. They were brought. How many times in Scripture is someone's name brought, a person brought, you know, I love the story of the man being brought, the, the crippled man being brought down through the roof by his friends. How many know that one? And I believe so often that's true. It's other people that bringing, um, bring someone before God. Now, my part I want to really focus on is Peter and John, who they were and what happened. Now, it's a temple courts. It says that they met in the temple courts daily. So I'm going to suggest that they had seen him before. They'd seen him before. But either that day they had their spiritual sunglasses on, or more likely that day the mission came on the sunglasses. Amen? That day as they walked, see, that's why I think they're walking. These guys say, hey, do you have any silver gold? And no, we don't have any. Whoa! <laughs> this mission, if you choose to accept it. And this mission came on. And you, so it's, Peter didn't pray for him to be healed. Peter already saw him healed. He saw not a crippled man. He saw a walking man. 
But he didn't have perhaps enough vision because God didn't see a walking man. God saw a leaping man. But Peter had enough vision that he looked at him intently. And he saw what he could be. If we get the eyes of, of the, the glasses of faith, I was thinking about scrapping this whole metaphor because of time. And last night, I was struggling, really struggling, yesterday afternoon, with this message, with confusion about it. And, and, and Diana, with my wife, she, she was praying for me, and she started preaching to me. It was so good. I was like, why don't you preach? It was, it was awesome because we've been trying to live this thing. And she was preaching to me, and then she said, it's like, we need God's glasses. It's like, and she didn't know about this. She said, okay, I'm bringing out the glasses. But I look good, you know? It was awesome. Now, I want to address this question. Does God still mer- work miraculously today? I hear some nods. I hear some skepticism. And I hear some, I'm not sure what the right answer is. See, our Western, rational, educated culture has castigated the faith, I believe, and left a philosophical, ethical, deistic God that is distant, uninvolved, and impotent. You may not believe that fully in your head, but perhaps more in your heart, more in terms of your expectations. And I felt the need, as I was preparing for this, to loudly proclaim, we serve a mighty, powerful, miraculous God. We serve a God who spoke the universe into existence. If you don't know, they estimate 170 billion galaxies, each with an average of 100 billion stars. That's miraculous. Out of nothing, even the scientists believe out of nothing came all this. They have a different theory about it. And this universe is accelerating. And they knew the, the theory about the Big Bang was that big explosions are accelerating because of gravity is slowing down. You know what, just a few years ago they found out it's speeding up. And what's the, what's the reason for that? Scientists don't know. I'm a science teacher. They don't know. They came up with a force that they don't know what it is, called the accelerating force or something. But gravitation, anyway, they don't know. We, we serve a God who spoke into existence several million unique species. Several million unique species. Now, whether you believe in God using evolution or some combination, whatever, but I believe from the science, from the biology that I teach, that it is not chance, mere chance, and natural selection. There is no way I believe that it could have produced what we see. Out of that, 2,600,000 alone are beetles. <laughs> Different beetles. See, and, and that proves, that proves that apparently the Beatles were also God's favorite group. <laughs> we serve a God who formed the nation from a union of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. That's a miracle. We serve a God who parted an ocean, shut the mouths of lions, preserved men thrown into a furnace, allowed a boy to kill a giant with a sling, took down the walls of a great city with trumpets and a shout, delivered a million slaves into freedom in a day, predicted the coming of a Messiah with over 300 prophecies, and then fulfilled them by coming himself, becoming a baby born into a barn. He walked on water. He turned the water into wine, healed the sick, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, was crucified as a sacrifice for all time, was raised in three days, appeared to 500 people, poured out his spirit on simple followers who in turn healed the sick, raised the dead, spoke the future, transformed the culture, turned the world upside down. 
God is miraculous. He is at work. The Bible says God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was miraculous in the beginning. He's miraculous in the middle. He'll be miraculous in the end. We serve a miraculous God. The question should not be, does God do, still do miracles that show up in dramatic ways? The question would be, why do we not see more? The church in Acts did, the church in China does, the church in Africa does, the church in South America does, and there are people, there are remnants here in America where we are seeing God move in miraculous ways. The Jesus Seminar, a number of years ago, a group of scholars, skeptical scholars got together, and they rewrote the Gospels, and they took out all the miraculous. Well, think about that. They took out all the miraculous. To me, that's like writing a sports biography of Tom Brady, minus the passes. If you take out the miraculous, you don't have the gospel. Removing the miraculous from the gospel doesn't remove the irrational mythical. It rather takes the super out of the supernatural, and by doing so does not make the faith, or it does make the faith irrational and mythical. This doesn't make the faith more plausible. For without a creative, powerful, incarnate, resurrected Lord at its core, the faith becomes an empty shell of platitudes and wishful thinking, only fit for a fool. The question has been raised, what if Jesus was not physically resurrected from the dead? Would you still follow? Does the faith still hold water as an ethical, philosophical, culturally relevant system? I would ask for hands, but some of you might miss and feel bad. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, I think we're putting it up there, if Christ, Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The Bible answers its own, that question. We hang the gospel on a miraculous God, on a resurrected Lord. And if you want to leave that, you have left the gospel. Which means, perhaps, we need to press into that. To be sure, we must not make the mistake of building our faith around signs and wonders, like some believers have. But neither should we make the mistake of building our theology from our experience, especially when we have not experienced much of what the prophets and what the church in the, early, in the first century experienced. If God has done, we should not build our, our theology from our lack of experience. If God has done miracles throughout history and in the church around the world today, why do we not see them? Jesus said he would give us the keys to the kingdom and to do greater works than he did. We can rational ways, rationalize away our impotence, or perhaps we can search for those lost keys that can open up some ancient doors. And in doing so, open up doors to God's power and presence that will cause the blind to see, sinners to fall on their knees, knees, and cripples to rise up and walk. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Are there some keys? Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Are there some keys that we, in general, have not been using? I mentioned the second book, or, yeah, the second book of Acts. And this book has a number of entries. And it would take hours, honestly, for me to tell you the background of all these stories, and some of them would, would not be uh, proper to kind of divulge personal things about people. But 
God has been working in ways in our group that I have not seen, like I said, since I was in college. And our whole challenge was, let, what if we can step up in a way, not to try to be super Christians, but is there some principles that we can lean into that would give us the grace that God would somehow move in a new way in our lives? And we've been seeing it. So I'm going to talk about some of the keys to the kingdom. And the first key I'm going to share is, uh, is that God nearly always uses flesh and blood vessels. Normal people empowered by a supernatural God. What's, what's more amazing than God's power is his strategy and showing his power through everyday people. Scripture says that there is a mystery that was hidden for ages and generations. And the mystery, his, his glorious plan is what? Christ in, not me, yeah. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, that is his plan. It's, the scripture says we are ambassadors of his kingdom. Jesus said that even greater works than he did, we would do. Wow. Now we're going to get, and we're going to read um, uh, a, a response. So, so Peter and John, they, they go in and we, um, they see this happen as a miracle. Everybody gets real excited. We say, well, well what's a, they basically say, what's the big deal? You know, we've seen God, Jesus do that all the time. We just said the name of Jesus. We haven't seen it before. But people are really excited. How can this be? So the, the religious rulers of the time, they take them in and they, they threaten them and so forth. And they kind of put them on trial. And, 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 and so they're in that context. And it says this, not Peter and not other disciples, but Peter and, and John's enemies, in a sense, observe this. We're going to put this up. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. We're asking about keys of the kingdom. What are these keys that these guys had? And so we see some things. We see that they had courage. They had courage. Now, remember, Peter didn't have much courage the night before Jesus was crucified. But suddenly, filled with the Holy Spirit, and having seen the Lord resurrected, finally he had courage, and no one could stop him. In fact, you know what they usually did when people were there confronted? Even with death, they, they turned on and said, Jesus, who you crucified. They had no fear. They'd seen their Lord resurrected. Nothing could shake them. Nothing could, could turn them away. They had courage. And it's a funny thing, but there's a few times in my life God has, has led me to do some really weird things. <laughs> my son is laughing. He may know some of those things. Some really weird things I feel like, I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I could tell you some stories that would probably cause you to lose all respect. But some weird things, but almost always when I've done these weird things, these courageous things, there's been some miraculous thing that happened or, or some answer in that, in that sense. So, so I don't know. We need courage. It, saw, uh, it says that they were unschooled, which means that they had not been through the training programs. They didn't probably speak with the eloquence of the religious leaders or with the proper accent or diction. They were normal guys, and that's what it says next. Saw that they were ordinary. Hallelujah. Ordinary. Raise your hand if you're ordinary. Raise your hand if you have ordinary intelligence. Some of you aren't sure about that one. <laughs> How about ordinary looks? Raise your hand. Come on. Ordinary looks. Look around. Hold. Keep your hands up. Ordinary looks. Some of you are lying. Some of you are absolutely extraordinary. That's a lie. But anyway, I'm not going to point you out because my wife would kind of 
be bothered by that. Um, she's one of those, but anyway. Um, but the last thing is the most important, and this is the principle of all, of all these things I want you to lean into, is that they took note that they had what? Say it again. They had, they had been with Jesus. Not that they believed Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Talk about being with Jesus. You can't be more be with Jesus than three years living, eating, sleeping, walking, burping. They lived day and night with Jesus. And so one of the big questions we've been asking ourselves in our group is, do we do that? Well, of course not, but how do we even kind of do that? I was talking to my friend, Pat Lord, and, and we were talking about how we tend to do devotions like homework, if we do them at all. It's like this thing on our to-do list. And maybe we do it in the morning, maybe at night, maybe we don't do it at all and we feel guilty, but it's like, I really should do my homework. How many can relate to this? And, I, and if I do, now I've done my homework, check, now I, go out and, I can go out and play. But that wasn't what a disciple was. Maybe the followers were like that. Disciples, they left everything. And there, it was integrated, as Mark and our group said, permeated, that the, the work of the Lord permeated their whole life. We've been, we've been using that. They had been with Jesus. They had been three and a half years, 24-7, watching imitating. What does it mean to be like, to, to live with Jesus, or to be like Jesus? So, I brought some books. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to read them. But these books are on the bestsellers list. list uh, my bestsellers list. I'm not selling them, but anyway. These are awesome. In, in the last few months, sovereignly, I think God's led me to these books. Bonhoeffer. Woo! About a man who basically was a prophet during the time of the, of Hitler and the Nazis, even, uh, even participated in trying to assassinate him. He was a pastor. He was a, he was a leader. He's written a number of books on discipleship and so forth. An amazing man who, who saw, uh, had prophetic insight way beyond what others were seeing in the church. Amazing grace about William Wilberforce, who, who led the, uh, the British uh, colonies to abolish slavery but what's amazing about it is that the mind of the average British citizen, people didn't even see, about, uh, uh, see people who were poor or, or slaves and see any obligation to try to help them out. It, was, it wasn't even the consciousness. And they, it's been said they raised the conscience of the country in such a way that way before the United States did, they abolished slavery in all of their, um, their empire. And in one day, 850,000 slaves were set free. Without bloodshed, without a civil war, they were set free because the conscience of the country had been turned by the work of God in this man and another man. And in this book, Heavenly Man, but a man in China that was used in the 80s and 90s to, uh, in tremendous persecution and to, to with the rest of other disciples, to, to endure persecution and to follow God and to, and to uh, preach the gospel. And, um, and there's a massive, massive revival going on in, through this man's life. Well, what do these books have in common? I found they have one thing in common. At some point in their life, God grabbed a hold of them, and they began to become disciples that spent their time, spent their lives with Jesus. Wilberforce would walk through the woods, 
for hours. He memorized Psalm 119, which is 176 verses. And he would recite scripture. And he, he was walking with God, and so God had a chance, or God could speak to him. Bonhoeffer would spend a half an hour, and he taught his disciples to spend a half an hour every morning and a half an hour every evening meditating on the same scripture and do that same scripture for the whole week. The scripture became internalized and so that he could see. It was how we could put on glasses. Intimacy with Jesus develops eyes to see. Intimacy with Jesus, not a prayer time, but intimacy. Walking in the spirit, as the Bible calls it. Intimacy develops ears to hear what the spirit says. And it develops, I believe, authority to speak boldly, to act boldly, to act courageously, and to do things that you would have never thought to do before because you didn't have the idea in your, in your mind to begin with. And others would have thought, you would have thought was crazy, but it gives you the authority to, to move into a situation, as Bonhoeffer did, to resist the Nazis, to move into a situation like Wilberforce did and speak in Parliament with eloquence and with authority and with power when nobody understood what he said and to stay with it for 50 years until the victory was won. To speak with boldness and courage in the face of unbelievable persecution. And the story is repeated over and over and over again in history and is perhaps it can be repeated with us. Why can't there be a, be a community like we see in Acts here? Now. This is what a group has been asking. I believe we're only scratching the surface. But it's already changing us dramatically. It's already changing us on the inside. And it's answering prayers. I got down on my knees just a few um, uh, a, a, a week or that's not the wow, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I got on my knees a couple weeks ago, just trying to seek God and trying to apply this certain scripture. And I was down on my knees, um, and I was praying for my son. And, and I felt like the Lord was leading for me to pray to thank him for his bosses because he's been just moved up in his management position with, and the, the owners, excuse me, the owners are Christians that are believers, and they see their, their, um, their, their business as a ministry. It's like, God, you know, what an awesome thing. So I started thanking the Lord for the owners. 20 minutes later, I get a text from the owner who I've never had the phone number for or any contact with. He said, Kelly, I just wanted to take the time to tell you an awesome job you and your wife have done with this young man. And here's what we see. Now, here's how I see it. Without a question. Now, you could, you could say, because of your skepticism that the, this Western mind has taught you, that that was not just, it was kind of coincidence, just like flipping a thousand coins in a row and all turning up heads is just coincidence. I do a trick with my students. And I can flip it over and over and get it to come up the same. And I can predict it because it's a trick. Some students say, yeah, you're just lucky. 
you know. Or maybe, here's how I see it happen. I'm praying, and God says, I want to give you some encouragement. And God taps the owner on the shoulder and says, you know what? Why don't you email Kelly Walters and tell him what about his son? Amen? And there's two other things we always pray for that morning that, that within the next day happened. Now, I'm saying this not because I think that I'm super spiritual. It's God doing stuff, but I'm just trying to lean in in intimacy, and my wife is, and our group is trying to lean in, and we're seeing things happen. And that's the, and I'll tell you what is the best summer I've had probably since I met my wife, which is saying something. It's a great summer, and I've hardly done anything of, no, of, of note as far as you know, projects or accomplishments, but uh, so often, not every day, but so often it's like I'm riding the wave. I tried to surf one time. It didn't work very well because I didn't know how to catch the wave, but I thought that would be so great to ride the wave, and here comes a big wave. I want to ride it, to ride the wave of God's will. Would that be awesome? What if our church did that? I'm almost done. See, I believe God's speaking. And I, I believe he, can be, he may have been speaking already to you. It's not me speaking. It's God tugging on your heart. Do you hear the voice of calling? Uh, excuse me, the voice of God calling this morning? Because I've been hearing it. Scripture says, the eyes of the Lord move back and forth throughout the whole earth, looking to strongly support the one whose heart is totally his. The scripture says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. What's the time? I'm going to suggest, why not now is the time. I hear the master walking along the shore, calling for disciples, saying, come and follow me. Not me, but him. And I will make you a fisher of men. Come, drop your nets and follow. See, the, the purpose of prayer and worship and obedience is not for personal piety or religious points. Rather, God is calling us to a level of intimacy, I believe, that will change us from the inside out, renewing our mind, transplanting our hearts, and restoring our soul. Then... This intimacy puts us in position to hear him, to see what he's doing. To see what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and to step out in faith and act on it. And only then. Jesus said a weird thing in John 5. He said, I can't do anything by myself. Jesus can't do anything by himself? What? He said he can only do what the Father, he sees the Father do. So maybe we need to get up in the morning, like I've been trying to do, get up in the morning and say, God, I'm only going to do what you want me to do. It's simple, but it's everything. And what will God do? Only then will the fish be caught, they'll be so full, not because we're better fishermen, but because God moves, fills our nets, and it says in an account when Jesus had that happen to the disciples, they brought their, their, the fish in and the boat started to sink. I like that catch. Maybe God will do that. I want to finish the story. Is that okay? This woman who's, at this, who's at, in the booth at Eastern, she's there. I know the story because my daughter was right 
in the booth behind her, heard her weeping. And, and Anna had been reading this book called The Hole in the Gospel, pondering what's missing and, and how we should respond. And she felt the Lord speak to her, go and give her a hug. Now, I've got to tell you, this, wo- this woman in Anna's description is not the person she would normally connect with. And Anna's the kind of person that whenever I go to talk to a stranger, she says, Dad. Anna's a very compassionate person from afar, but doesn't want to, you know, be weird and break those social rules. But she stepped down on faith because God had given her glasses. Maybe not to see everything, but to give her a hug. She went over to start to talk to her. They exchanged phone numbers. She, uh, and, and, and a few weeks, months later, they started connecting here and there. And Anna even confessed. She said, I wasn't very good. I, she would email and I wouldn't. She would text. I wouldn't respond. But finally I did. And this woman had developed a relationship with her. And she'd counsel her. And this woman had multiple issues, multiple problems. And, um, and she started going to a church and, and her Bible study. And she uh, made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And she got baptized. And I'm sure there were a number of hugs. Anna probably thought there's one hug, but God was calling her and others for multiple hugs. This man in Nepal who's got, who has no, no knowledge of English, doesn't know if he'll ever get to America, is called up to put on a plane. But what you don't know is there's another man. His name is Brent Hendricks. And Brent has a, has a group of guys. He's right out of college. He has a group of guys, and they're praying for God to... To, they're kind of living a monastic life where they're trying to spend a lot of time in prayer. And they're just kind of, I went over and prayed with them a few times. They're going, oh, trying to pray. I don't know, I know what we're doing, but we're trying to do this stuff. They're trying to get intimate with Jesus. Who would know that, um, that Brent, who confesses, he didn't even know what a refugee was, that God would work in his heart in such a way that his eyes would open, that he would get a vision for refugees and he would see a plan, he had to have a, a ministry to be birthed out of that prayer. So that now the same man who was in Nepal came to America and got, and got connected with Brent and the, and the um, Global Neighborhood Ministry. And that man got his first paycheck. He works at the uh, thrift store. His name's Hari. Have you ever met Hari? See, God is at work. And God wants to do a work. And finally, this man, Lucas, who's a friend of Brand's. Brand kept bringing up, you've got to pray for Lucas, you've got to pray for Lucas. He came to our group a couple times. We went to pray for him one time, and my wife afterwards said, that was really sad. She prayed for his leg and touched his chin, and it was like hamburger. They said 99% chance you're gonna, they're going to um, take it, and it may not save his life. And the, um, the, it was one Sunday, Russ was talking about prayer, and I got this, this uh, crazy idea. He was about done. He says, well, let's, let's have a final prayer. And it was like, no. <laughs> and I felt like the man, it's like, there's not a place to for, get in there, our friend, but I'm going to make a place. So I walked over to Russ, and I'm, not, I'm just saying God put this on my heart, I believe. I walked over to Russ and said, uh, hey, Russ, can I say something? It was highly inappropriate, breaking every rule. You do not have permission to do that right now, unless God speaks to you. And it's like, I don't care if I'm in my heart. Was I don't care. It's like, God is just on me. And so I, he said, what do you say? Yeah, I guess. And so I just prayed, and I had us pray. I talked to him a few days ago. He is, his leg was not amputated. His leg, the cancer went away. He's in remission. 
And he's been working as a volunteer fireman and been training to get in full credentialed fireman. God can do a work. We're going to see a video, and then we're going to give time for you to contemplate what God wants to do in your life. As Shane comes up and gets um, prepared, I've got one more short um, example. And um, we're going to give you just a few minutes to just spend some time. Be still. Let God speak what he might speak about intimacy or maybe even direction, maybe even this morning. I was meditating on a scripture a few months ago, doing the Bonhoeffer method, spending time the whole week with the same scripture, morning, during the day. Scripture is Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, even as Christ loved us and laid down his life, sacrificing for us. And so I'm running and I'm pondering how, and uh, I, I'm to apply that, and I'm, I spent an entire five-mile run praying it, repeating it, just mulling it over. There's a third day of doing that, developing intimacy, letting it work into my soul. And I came back into the parking lot of the school, and a woman who I don't believe is even a Christian, she asked me a question. I'm not going to tell you the question because, as some of you know it, but she asked me a question, and I'm not going to tell you the end of the story because it's being written right now. But what it did is it was just like Tom Cruise. God, in that moment, I had been asking for a mission among many, who knows, and all of a sudden I got some direction, and we processed it for a while looking for confirmation, and we got confirmation every single place, other scriptures, everything. God had spoken something into us that would change, that will change my life. If not for the next few years, probably for the rest of my life, will change other pe- some other people's lives. Just this drop that came out of that time. And I believe God wants to do more in me wants to do more in all of us, but we've got to make him, make ourselves available.